that view we just expressed is known as um, exclusivism regarding salvation, who, who can be saved, only those found in Christ. There is another view that some professing Christians hold. It's called inclusivism. And they maintain that even non-Christians can be saved. That, that view, in part, informs um, people that hold to the doctrine of anonymous Christians, that you could be a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist, and when you die, you find out that you were really a Christian. Um, I don't think the scripture teaches that. Okay. We're going to look at, I have something different I'm going to do today. Sometimes that doesn't really work, but we're going to see if it works. On the, the, the bulletin, it says uh, Acts 19, 21 through 41. That's our second reading. I want to read two readings. Acts 17, I want to read 1 through 9, and then we'll look at what we see here. I, ho- hopefully it will make sense. Um, Acts 17, 1 through 9, and then we'll look at the 19, chapter 19 passage. Acts 17, verse 1, God's word. When they traveled through Amphipolis into Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I'm proclaiming to, is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with the a large number of the God-fearing Greeks, Gentiles, and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming Gentiles and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, and they set the city in an uproar. They attacked the house of Jason. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men have upset the whole world, and have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things, and when they received a pledge from Jason and others, uh, they released them. Okay, jump over to Acts 19 and the larger passage 21 through 41. I don't know whether I'm going to backtrack next week, and I'm jumping over a lot, but there's a theme I want to Consider from Acts 17 and 19. Um, Acts 19, 21. After these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem, and after he passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, or Diana, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades, and he said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that the gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and she whom of all Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. When they heard this, they were filled with rage. They began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with confusion. They rushed with one accord into the theater. They dragged along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions with from Macedonia. When Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him, repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then some were shouting one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. The majority did not know for what reason they had come together. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward, and having noticed with his, that he motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized he was a Jew, a single outcry arose, and they all shouted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. After quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of Ephesus is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis in the image which fell down from heaven? Since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. 
For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then, if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have any complaint against any man, the courts are in session and the proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events, since there's no real cause for it. In this connection, we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. Amen. God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, you are God, and beside you there is no other, and you are triune in uh, your godhood. Godhead, the Holy Trinity, beyond our full understanding, Lord, and you reveal yourself to us, especially in your Son, Father. And I pray that I would do the gospel of your Son justice this morning. Help me, Lord God, be as winsome as I'm able, uh, notwithstanding the nature of the sermon. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The the reason I read both... um, Sections 17 and 19 is because in each section it contained a similar theme which I want to look at. Um, people like to think that um, we're very different from different people. And I mean, I don't like the term race, but I mean racially, culturally, ethnically, and politically, and so on. That you all that don't look like me are radically different than the folks that look like me, and, and that kind of thing. We love to divide and subdivide. And um, the scripture paints a different picture. Um, People apart from Christ, whether they're white, black, brown, free, slave, whatever ethnic culture, language they speak, apart from Christ, they're the same. You could have a white unbeliever and a black unbeliever, and they're the same spiritually, morally, religiously, really. And then you could have a black and a white believer uh, in Christ, obviously, and they're the same spiritually, religiously, and morally. And what we find in our passage is unbelieving Jews when they hear the Lord Jesus Christ, they're, they are disturbed in their spirit and they, they cause a riot. And then the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ comes to Gentiles, markedly different than the Jews, at least externally, but the same internally, same spiritually, morally. And then when they hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the unbelieving Gentiles do just what the unbelieving Jews do. <laughs> they're very disturbed and they cause a riot. So... The doctrine that I'm going to kind of unpack, or at least I'm going to try, is that when the gospel of the cross, which is kind of my metonym for the gospel, the gospel of the cross, the atoning blood of Christ, the gospel of the Lamb, that that substitutionary sacrifice, which is the essence of the gospel, when that is being faithfully proclaimed, that will disturb people. And um, that's what we're looking at and when the gospel is faithfully preached it will cause a disturbance among the people acts 19 verse 23 that we just read at that time there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way and those two words we're going to look at that the way is a metonym or a figure of speech for for the gospel or for christ and that word harachos in Greek is disturbance, trouble, uh, uh, disorder. So when the gospel is being faithfully preached, it will cause trouble within the bosom, the heart, um, the lives of of unbelievers uh, particularly. Uh, When it's in here, we're not looking at particularly a good disrupting or a good disorder, at least in the passages that I chose. Look at verses 28 in, in chapter 19. And they were filled with rage. So when the gospel is being proclaimed expressly, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and then by inference, those who don't worship God in Christ will come to the right conclusion. You're saying that our gods are no gods, which is exactly right. And then the disturbance that it, uh, rises is, is actually they're filled with rage. And it, they, they um, provoke a riot. I do want to stress a couple of things. So we're just going to unpack that theme, that the gospel will cause a disturbance among unbelieving people in the visible household of faith and among necessarily unbelieving people outside the household of faith. Um, it, I want to stress the idea of when the gospel is being faithfully preached, it will occur these, these things. 
it's very easy to dismiss my primary premise that the gospel faithfully preached will produce uh, necessarily among the unbelieving a disturbance. You could easily say, well, that's just John. He's in a time warp. He's just an angry guy, literally, and he's just he likes to provoke people to anger. Um, and, but if you preach Jesus faithfully, the real Jesus, not like this Puritan crazy person, Pastor John, then the, the only response to the right Jesus being uh, preached is, um, is uh, everyone will love you. So it, it is easy to dismiss, when, well, you provoked me, that must be meaning that you're presenting uh, incorrect Christ, an unscriptural Christ. And I want to address some particular difficulties with that, but um, the the gospel faithfully preached does not leave people to live in their sin happily in their sin. Now, now, there are some people who profess to be Christians that say the essence of the gospel is this. Oh, can someone let these folks in? Oh, here they come. Um, uh, pr- people will say the essence of the gospel properly preached is peace, peace to everyone in their sin. I want you to think of um, the false prophets particularly in the book of Jeremiah, um, certainly Ezekiel and so on, their primary message, their religious message to the Jews was peace, peace. God, God is happy with you. He's happy with you in your sin. No worries. Everything's great. That's a false preacher. That's a false prophet. So if someone says, well, if you're really preaching Jesus, it's only peace, peace. That, 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 to people in their sin, to enjoy their sin, to love their sin that that would be a false presentation of Christ. Now, this is a big however. This is along the lines of what our brother George is talking about. This is a big however regarding disturbing, the gospel causing a disturbance. There are, there are some misunderstandings here. What we're looking at in particular for our sermon, particularly under the, the expression, and the way cause no small disturbance, meaning the gospel, meaning Christ. Um, we are looking at, in particular, and for my purposes expressly, only when the gospel is being preached. We're not talking about other things causing a disturbance among people, whether they're believers or unbelievers. And so, in other words, um, the law of God will cause a disturbance when it's be- being preached, whether faithfully or unfaithfully. But let's just take the law of God. God's law actually has a great deal to say on uh, it's the moral government of moral creatures. If you preach the law, if you were to go out in, in the street corner, which I'm not against, and preach nothing but the law, say the Sixth Commandment, and say God is against infanticide, which he is against infanticide, and you were to preach that, would that cause a stir or disturbance in the community? Yes, it would. And if you were to go out and preach faithfully, even the law of God on the seventh commandment. God is um, proclaiming that all people should be chaste until marriage, that kind of thing, till death do us depart. And you preach the seventh commandment faithfully. Would that cause no small disturbance in our society? Yes, I would argue if you preach the law of God faithfully, both in the larger society and even in the church, you would cause a disturbance. But the law alone does not convert. The law is a handmaid or servant to the gospel. And so if you were to preach nothing but the law, you could cause a disturbance. But that's not what we have in view. We have the gospel causing a disturbance. I'm not denying the place of the law. That if you preach the law of God faithfully and rightfully, it's meant to be a schoolmaster to show us that we need Jesus in the gospel, at least if you're doing it rightly. And it drives us to Christ, to to the gospel but it's the gospel that saves. And the gospel message is the propositional truths about the person and the work of Christ, particularly his substitutionary death and resurrection, that kind of thing, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. So yes, the law can disturb, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about gospel-disturbing people. And I will say this. Sometimes folks will preach other things which... um, many Christians would agree with. I'm politically and culturally and super-duper conservative. If you want to come to my house and talk my political views and my cultural views, I'm super-duper conservative. And we, we could I probably won't because then you'll want me to do it in the pulpit. But sometimes folks preach um, 
whatever they view politically or culturally, let's say, and they cause a great disturbance. And then they conclude this, I'm being persecuted or causing disturbance for the gospel. But that's not actually the, the, the and I'm not denying that I would agree with what you said, um, or not agree, depending on what you said. But that's not what's in view. Does that make sense? So even the right preaching of the law will cause a disturbance. That's not particularly in view. Even things which we would all agree, don't kill children, that will cause a disturbance. We're not talking about that particularly here. Uh, we're talking about the gospel of the cross causing a disturbance among unbelieving Jews and unbelieving Gentiles. Does that make sense? So we can't dismiss it to say if you preach Christ, everybody has to love you and throw roses. We find actually quite the opposite. If they're unbelieving, they're not going to love you and throw roses. They're going to throw rocks. But we have to back up and say, well, we don't mean other things. We don't mean other things. The content is the gospel. And I want to get at the manner. And this is what George was talking about in Gentle and Lowly uh, from Matthew chapter uh, oh, Johnny boy, 11. Christ says, I'm gentle and lowly which is interesting. Christ is gentle and lowly. In Matthew chapter 5, we are to be gentle and lowly. The other thing that this doesn't, I'm not getting at, which we can fall into an error, well, if I'm faithfully preaching the gospel of Jesus and people hate me or, or I cause an angry disturbance and they want to cause a riot, we can't, we have to be on our guard. All of us have, have our flesh. If we are hateful, in the presentation of the gospel, we're, we're, we're sinning. And so we don't mean that. We don't mean if we go out and we present Christ, but in an ugly, in a hypercritical, in a hypersensorious fashion, that, well, you know, I'm just being persecuted for Jesus. Um, no, no. Matthew chapter 7 we ought not to present the gospel of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in a lion-like or dog-like fashion. We ought to present the gospel of the Lamb in what kind of a fashion? Lamb-like. And I'm not saying that every Christian has the same exact constitution. Some of us are more excitable and less excitable and more even-keeled and less even... I'm not talking about that. But we can't conclude that we're causing a disturbance for the gospel when we're not preaching the gospel. We can't conclude that we're causing a disturbance for the gospel when we ourselves, our personalities, our persona, our, our tone, our method, that's what causes the disturbance. Does that make sense? So we could preach, well, accept Jesus and you'll be saved. And if you don't, you're going to hell. We could do that, which the propositions are true, but we could do it in an ugly and offensive manner. If you were to go to the funeral of, let's say, a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or just a Romanist or a Mormon, a non-Christian, and at the funeral you were to tell people as they were walking out, if your loved one died this or that, they're in hell. And only if you accept Jesus will you go to heaven. That would be wrong to do. I would weep with those who weep and I would rejoice with those who rejoice and I would wake for a wiser time to express the truth of the gospel. Does that make sense? Okay, Paul talks about to Timothy that the goal of our instruction is love. So um, we're trying to get at why does the gospel, faithfully proclaimed, um, why does it cause such a disturbance? Now remember, did Jesus Christ ever himself sin in the, in the presentation of his own gospel? No. He is the Lamb of God. Every word was seasoned with salt, seasoned with grace. So he never said anything wrong propositionally and never anything wrong by way of method. And what happened to him? He caused a great disturbance. Both Jew and Gentile, they butchered him. So the gospel faithfully proclaimed, the gospel of the cross, will cause a disturbance among um, the unbelieving. Okay. So uh, not for other subjects, not when it's being delivered in a fleshly fashion. You remember, the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 17, I quote this all, all the time, is that the gospel of Christ, it, it will, um, even the, the unbelieving heathen say this, he upsets or he turns the whole world, what? 
upside down. The Greek word is anastastu. It means to unsettle, to cause a revolt, or to drive one out of one's home. (laughs) To drive one out of one's home. Now, this is spiritual. When the preaching of Christ comes, the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father, the blood-atoning sacrifice of Christ, he dies for our sins, he rises for our justification, that will drive one out of one's home. It will cause a a revolt Uh, It will cause turmoil. Now, it will cause turmoil, and the effect of that will be one or two effects. Either a good disturbance, where you hear this message, that Christ is the way, tes hadu, is what he says in Greek. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the, the, the Lamb of God. I take away the sins of the world. I am the gate. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. You either hear that, and you are disturbed in your spirit and say, Thou, son of David, have mercy on me. And then that disturbance is the happiest disturbance that you will ever experience in your life. It has, it, it has driven out that dead spirit from your heart, as it were, if I could use the language or paraphrase the language of Ezekiel 36, and it has driven you to, 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 you to, to God in Christ. So it will be the happiest disturbance of your life that you were lost and now you're found. You were a child of the devil in darkness, now you're a child of light, a child of God. So it will be a blessed assurance, a blessed disturbance, I mean. But this particular disturbance from the unbelieving Jews and the unbelieving Gentiles is the other disturbance that the gospel faithfully proclaimed will uh, bring. Acts 19, verse 9 says this, when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people. So there are only, we've talked about this a lot. This is Second Corinthians chapter 2, 12 through 16, I think. There are two aromas or smells to the gospel of the cross, two effects. I, I just said this to a brother in the Lord who was, uh, I think, somewhat depressed at the, the work at his church that he was having a paucity of results, means smallness of results. He said, well, I'm not seeing essentially conversions and those kind of things. I said, well, the gospel has, there are two purposes for the gospel. And God says, my word's never going to go out and come back to me empty and void. And the first reason which we like is for the conversion of the, the lost. They'll come to know that they're sinners and they'll find their salvation in Christ. And so it's everlasting life. It's the aroma of life. But that's the, there's a secondary reason for the gospel, and that's by inference or implication. The gospel also is for the, the, the proper judgment uh, um, of the non-elect. So to save the elect, to, to bring them to Christ, life, and then to judge the non-elect, death. And there are two responses. And the, res, the response with the first disturbance, which is the nice one, is, is coming to Christ. The other one we find is the other response to Jesus faithfully proclaimed, no one is neutral. There is no neutrality to God. Someone can tell me they're an atheist. The Bible says there are no atheists. Uh, Romans chapter 1, 18 to the end of chapter 2. There are no atheists. There are some who think they're propositional atheists, but then you mention the name of Jesus and they want to get spitting mad. They show inwardly uh, what they really uh, believe. They're they're not true atheists. Um, They say they're atheists because they hate God and they're rebels, but there are no atheists. No one is neutral to the God of the Bible. Either you are converted to Christ and you are pro-God in Christ, or you are unconverted and you are anti-God in Christ. And then the, the response then without faith is you are angrily disturbed. Even if people outwardly look very, very blasé, or, yes, interesting, no, I don't really believe. You, with the faithful presentation of the gospel of the cross, Outwardly, they may look like they couldn't even make a blip on the screen. Inwardly, if you keep presenting the claims of Christ, what will happen? This is what's going to happen. You say, well, that's because you're a jerk. We already, we already addressed that. Jesus was never a jerk. God forbid. And what happened to him? They butchered him. The apostles presented the, the gospel. And what happened to them? They butchered them. And read Romans chapter 8, 28 to the end of Romans chapter 28 in the 30s. We, like sheep, were accounted as slaughter. So you, you, we are to be lamb-like, but even in being lamb-like, 
the presentation of the gospel, apart from the gift of saving faith, will produce in the heart of um, the unbeliever hatred. They will be angrily disturbed. And what we learn is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12. What's in our heart is going to come out on our mouths. And they spoke evilly of the way. Let's look at these two entities, the unbelieving Jews, which represent the corrupted church, a church that no longer believes the gospel is through grace alone and through faith alone and Christ alone, according to the scripture alone, and then the, um, the gospel causing a disturbance among non-Christians. Um, so what we have in view in Acts chapter 19, verse 9, and even Acts chapter 7, t- t- excuse me, Acts 17, with the rejection of, the, um, the, of Christ by the Jews, we grade sins. Um, it, we live in a, a day when I think a better part of the church doesn't read their Bible anymore, and we're, uh, we can be illiterate according to, in the church, uh, Bible illiterate. Uh, and, um, and so then we define sin the way that we define sin, which is the larger culture, uh, but that's another sermon. When we come here to reject the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jews, saying we will not have this man to reign over us, and when they reject Jesus Christ from being their king, who do the Jews own as their king? Caesar. Is, boy, I could preach a sermon on that. So they reject King Christ, and they own the Gentile uh, Caesar as their king. That's a sin. That's a sin. That's a breach of the first four commandments. And then to reject the gospel is a sin, and it's a great sin. We usually think murder is a sin, which is a very bad sin, which is a very bad sin. Uh, fornication, adultery, very bad sin. Stealing stuff from other people, very bad sins. Because it's, it's a breach of God's divine duty from man to man. But when we think of who we're sinning against in the gospel, it's the God-man. It's the extension of, it's the extension of mercy. Uh, we're, we're all guilty, hell-bound, hell-deserving sinners. And then the gospel says, come to me and I'll give you life. And we spit in the face of Christ and say, no. That is such an aggravation of sin, it should make us swoon. I know some churches, not the Reformed Church, broad evangelical churches, and I'm not picking on broad evangelical churches, but they sometimes say things like this, all sin is equal to all sin. That's not true, beloved. That is not true. Uh, we know it's not true. If you, were to, if you have a 25-year-old man and he punches a 25-year-old man for no reason, we would say that that's bad. If you have a 25-year-old man and he punches a female, and I don't care for any reason, we think that's what? That's gross. Or a child, that's, that's gross. That's an aggravation of the sin. So even though they may say they believe that, they don't really believe that. So we aggravate our sin by the one we sin against, and you can't sin against one higher than the God-man. And you're sinning against the, the, the extension of grace and forgiveness and mercy, and this is the love of God bound up in the Christ and the Son. And so when they reject Jesus, it is a sin. It's an aggravation of sin, and people don't quite get that. They think, well, I am free to choose whether I want to accept Jesus or not. We could talk about the doctrine of free will and versus free agency, and maybe a Bible study. To say no to Christ, to say no to the gospel, it is a great sin, a grievous sin. And the thing that the Jews do when they reject Jesus, not only do they aggravate their sins by rejecting the God-man, this is the visible household of faith. The the Bible says in the book of Romans, read Romans 3, 1 through 3, 2 Timothy, what what is it, 3, 14 and 15. Here you have grandmother and mother, Lois and Eunice and Eunice and Lois, teaching little Timothy Jesus from the Holy Scriptures. They had the, the Jews had the oracles and the, to use the language of our confession, they had the oracles and the ordinances of God for gathering in the elect and for sanctifying them in Christ until the day that Christ comes back. They had that. That's an aggravation of, uh, of sin. To reject Jesus while sitting with a Bible in your hands, to reject Jesus with the sacraments of circumcision and the Lord's Supper, is a great aggravation of your sin. People sometimes say, what about the poor people that worship Artemis? What about the poor Muslims, the poor Hindus? What about the poor folks who have never heard? I agree. That's why we have evangelists and missionaries. Those aren't the people that actually most greatly aggravate their sin. The people that most aggravate their sin are the Jews that are disturbed at the coming of Christ, at the preaching of Christ, 
because they, they sin against spiritual privilege. This would be akin to a person, a Christian, a professing Christian, raised in a professing Christian church with Christian mom and dad, a real Christian mom and dad, who show them the way of life in the way Christ. They take them to a Bible-believing, Christ-loving, gospel-preaching church, and that person rejects Christ. That is a gross aggravation of sin. And so we see that uh, occurs. The other thing that we learn, even principally, from the gospel causing a disturbance and the Jews speaking evilly of the way, and they're getting progressively bad, originally, um, Paul goes to the Jew first because it's a biblical principle, Romans 1, Romans 2. Jesus says, I go to the lost house of uh, the lost sheep of the house of Israel first, then to the Gentiles. So it's biblical. He's, he's in Ephesus for three Sabbaths, and some Jews say, yes, we want to hear about Jesus. The Jews that don't want to hear about Jesus, they cause this ruckus, and they drive off the gospelers from those who want to hear Jesus. Beloved, this happens. If you are in a mixed marriage, I, of course, I don't mean racially because that's ridiculous. I mean mixed um, religiously. This happens all the time. I see it happening. Let's say you have the believer who loves the unbelieving partner, whether or not they got married in sin or not. Let's just say they didn't. They were both unbelievers. One gets converted. If the believing partner is squeamish and they, they hear the gospel being presented to the unbelieving partner, they sometimes try to distract them. They don't want them to get their feelings hurt. But almost all the time, when you have the, the unbelieving hears, the unbelieving party hears the proclamation of the gospel faithfully uh, preached, they will cause a ruckus. Uh, they will take you away from that gospel faithfully preached. Think of this. A lot of churches, are uh, Christianity is sadly female-led. Most people go to most churches because mother wants them to go there and the father is along for the ride. No extra charge for this, but it's not my main theme. He doesn't really care as long as she just leaves him alone, so he goes wherever she wants. So he goes. Now, if let's say the woman is an unbeliever um, and the husband's a real believer. She will only go where the gospel is not faithfully preached. And she'll tell the believing husband, oh no, we're not going to that church. But the guy's preaching, the oh no, I don't like it. I don't like it. We're going here. We're, that gospel rejecter will cause a disturbance and try to keep the gospel from fur, being furthered uh, to, uh, to the believing. We, we, we see that. Um, the, the cross of Jesus, when it is repeatedly rejected by those in the household of faith, it has a hardening consequence. This is Hebrews 6. I don't want to get myself sidetracked. But if the gospel of Christ preached faithfully does not convert you, over time, as you hear it, it will have an increasingly hardening effect on your heart. And you've seen this. Christians, again, to, to make the application, people that are raised in Christ-loving, Christ-preaching homes in churches, they've heard the gospel thousands of times. But they're in their unbelief. They're hard. These are hard folks. It's easier to talk to a Hindu or a Muslim than to talk to these folks. I've heard it. The book of Hebrews says, you become increasingly hard. That's the consequence of these folks. Now, let's find out why some of the reasons these unbelieving Jews reject Christ. They're for the same reasons, as I've said, unbelieving Gentiles reject Jesus in Acts chapter 19. And I mentioned it earlier. It's the two words in verse 23. Look at verse 23 again. At that time, there, no, there occurred no small disturbance. And here's, here, these two words represent the reason unbelieving Jews and unbelieving Gentiles they ha they're disturbed with the preaching of Jesus. No small disturbance concerning, what, what's the next two English words? The way. Greek, teis hadu. Teis hadu. The way. No small, and this is the same, back in, if we were to go back in uh, Acts chapter 17, it's the same language. The Jews were disturbed because of the preaching of the way. The Gentiles are disturbed because of the preaching of the way. Teis hadu, the way. Singular, exclusive, narrow, only Christ. Beloved, I, I, sometimes I watch like um, mixed martial arts, MMA, 
And it's actually not just brutes. There is some skill to it. I mean, I suppose it can be, I don't know. But there was a fellow who's a professing Christian, and his coach is a professing Muslim. And he said, I've never spoken evilly of Islam or, or of the Muslim faith. And the Muslim coach said, that's true. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's the disturbance. Then you have not faithfully proclaimed Christ. You have not faithfully proclaimed the cross. The Bible faithfully preached. This is a Galatians chapter 5. Again, I'm loving everyone in this church. Everyone here this morning should come to Elder George's Sunday School, Gentle and Lowly, how the church needs to hear this. I'm not for being provocative or being ugly, but the gospel of the Lamb faithfully proclaimed in gentleness, in meekness, it comes with the offense. It comes with an offense. Paul calls it the offense of the cross, the offense of Jesus Christ. It comes with an offense. You cannot faithfully proclaim the way, the truth, the life, the light, the gate, the door only without causing a disturbance. It's just not possible. Because of that exclusiveness, that narrowness, only Jesus. And Jesus himself uses these words both in Matthew chapter 7 and John chapter 10. Let me read them to you. So, John chapter 14, where Christ uses uh, the the language of this, the way. Jesus says to him, I am the way. This is the ego me in Greek. I am that I am. The The Jews are not missing this. These are Hellenized Jews. These are Jews that speak Greek. So he says, ego me. I am that I am. I am Jehovah come in the flesh. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread which comes down out of heaven. I am the door into heaven. I am the Lamb of God. I am the vine. I'm God come in the flesh. I am it. To believe in me is to have everything. To reject me is to lose everything. So Christ uses this. And Matthew, you know this. You know this. And this is the offense. This is why unbelievers in the church, unbelievers out of the church, they're disturbed (laughs) with the preaching of Christ. And I would say rightly so. Jesus says this, enter through the narrow gate. That's this, that's this principle. The way is very narrow. For, for wide is the gate and, and broad is the way that leads to destruction to hell. There are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. That is disturbing, beloved. If you are raised in a Bible-believing church, praise God. Or Bible-believing mom and dad, praise God for that. But sometimes what happens is we hear these things being raised in a Bible-believing family or church, and we skim over them. I can remember my wife as raised a Hindu reading things like this, thinking, well, it can't mean Jesus. Like, Jesus is the way. It can't mean Jesus is the door. It has to be like his teaching. He's just a good guru, or he's some kind of prophet. It has to be his teaching. Jesus is saying, it's me. This is, this is overwhelming. This is overwhelmingly disturbing if you actually understand it rightly. Only him. He is the lamb. He takes away this. No, no one else. So if you think, well, that, that's very unsettling, then you're understanding this rightly. And then we say, well, I do believe. Then you are rightfully um, and joyously uh, blessed in, in this one. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, John 17, I am the door. Listen to this, John 17. This is the lamb. I am the door of the sheep. It's the same idea. It's that singular, exclusive way, door. I am the door of the sheep. Now look at what he says. This is where the MMA fighter, who I like, but I understand why he said what he said, because he's afraid of man. And I'm not for being ugly, but it's the fear of man, which I have the fear of man and women too. All who came before me are what? Thieves and robbers. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he'll be saved. He'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. 
all other gods, all other saviors, I would say this, all other Christs, all other Christs, all other so-called gospels, the gospel of the cross indicts them all as false. And that's what causes the disturbance. Um, There are people that like not to be liked. There are people that like to cause a ruckus or disturbance. I'm not, believe it or not, my methodology is to run away and hide. And if you catch me, I will tell you the truth. But my method is to run and hide privately. In the pulpit, I say what I think God says. But privately, my method is to run and hide. I don't like confrontation. But if you catch me, I'll tell you what I understand about the truth. We're not talking about people that like to cause a ruckus. We're talking about people that are faithfully presenting Jesus Christ for the glory of Jesus Christ. And the people who are unbelieving, they are rightfully drawing the conclusion then you are saying that my gods, my prophets, my religion, my Christ, my gospel is wrong. Is that right, beloved? That's right. That's the problem. So dealing with the Jews, I would say that the Jews who are disturbed with the preaching of Christ alone, cross alone, blood alone, they would represent all all forms of Christianity that corrupt the gospel. There are gospel forms of Christianity and non-gospel forms, true gospel. There are Bible forms of Christianity and non-Bible forms of Christianity. I was raised in a non-true gospel form of Christianity. I was raised in a non-Bible primary form of Christianity. These Jews represent that. So the preaching of Christ as represented in the Bible, it, 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 it makes them angry because they, they make the conclusion, if Paul is right, that it's only the Christ that's being presented to us in the Bible, then necessarily our entire religious structure that we have as Jewish people is being indicted as wrong. Jesus came to clear away the rubbish, the, the man-made rubbish from from the teachings that were being uh, uh, occurring in the gospel in the Jewish church with the preaching of the the gospel of the cross the Jews understood rightfully then he's saying if this is true if it's only the blood of the lamb and only as presented in the bible he's saying that our religious traditions are wrong is that right beloved did jesus say that did Jesus say, it's only me as presented in Holy Scripture and your religious traditions, they're man-made, not God-made, they're rubbish. Did, he, did Jesus say that? Yeah, he did. Ma- Matthew chapter 15, Mark chapter 7. Now, beloved, I, 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 I will say this. If you were raised in a form of Christianity that was not a Bible form of Christianity, it was a traditions-based form of Christianity, Roman church would be one. Um, If you were raised with that, and someone comes along and says, not only are your traditions wrong, they're obnoxious to God, and they obscure the Bible, and they corrupt the gospel, what, what, what would your response be? Who are you? Our church has been around for 2,000 years. How long have you guys been around? Half an hour? So who, 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 you say it's got to be Bible? You say all of the thousands, hundreds of years of tradition is, is, is garbage? Jesus says you nullify the word of God. You nullify the gospel. I would argue, beloved, when you present the gospel of Christ, Christ alone pays for sins, to a person that holds to a traditionalist, a traditions-based, man-made traditions-based form of Christianity, they will be angry with you like this. And then the other thing that the preaching of Christ properly um, preached will produce in the life of um, these man-made-based forms of Christianity, which the Jews represent, is it says to them necessarily that you're not righteous that you have, no, you have no merit, that you're altogether sin, 
And apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, you will perish. I, I almost never do this. Okay. So the Roman Catholic Church teaches the exact same thing. They teach both traditions of men over the word of God, and they teach the merit of man over and against the merit of Christ. I hate to say it, but it is the complete application of this passage. I'm going to read a thing called the Treasury of Merit. Um, This Treasury of Merit includes, as well as the prayers and the good works of the Blessed Mary, they are truly immense, unfathomable, and even pristine in their value before God. In the treasury, too, are the prayers and the good works of the saints, all those who have followed in the footsteps of Christ the Lord, and by his grace have made their lives holy and carried on the mission the Father entrusted to them. Now listen to this. This is the idea of merit, which the cross refutes. Man's merit. In this way, they attained their own salvation, and at the same time, they cooperate in saving their brothers in the unity of the mystical body. Boy, I hate to read that. That's why the Jews were upset. You're saying our traditions are offensive. Yes. You're saying that we have no merit before a holy God. It's only the merit of Christ. That's right. I, I, and put yourself in the position, put yourself in the position of one of these Jewish folks. You either looked at the teaching of the Sadducees or the teaching of the Pharisees. You're raised in this. You think you're true religion. All the other people are false religion and that you're the chosen people of God. But you do not know that over years and years and years, the traditions of men have driven out the word of God. And some preacher comes along and says, this is what the Bible really says. It's only the blood of the Lamb of God. Faith in him. And you think, so my Sadducees were wrong. They're wrong. All of the Pharisees, they're wrong. They're all wrong. And so you are disturbed. Put yourself in the position of these people. And it's harder because most of us are raised in some stripe of Christianity. Put yourself in the position of these people in Ephesus. Your mother and your father, your grandmother and your grandfather trained you that Artemis is a true goddess. Along come these preachers. Everyone in your culture believes that Artemis is a real god. Everyone. All the statuary, all the paintings, all the ceremonies, all the rites. Just think of that. Do you know someone who was raised in a non-Christian religion? Like, really? I do. Really. Your entire culture... You know, my wife doesn't say it. Like when Hindus meet other Hindus, they say whatever they say. It means the God in me greets the God in you. And you have crazy Americans being foolish. And then you do the, you know, whatever the pose. It's all religious. So it's, you can't have yoga, yoga without Hinduism and Hinduism without yoga. Why Christians do yoga is beyond me. They just don't know. It's, re- it's religious. And so when you look at this and you were to say, so the preaching of Jesus by you who don't look like me. Just put yourself in these positions. You have a bunch of Jews coming up to all of these people. They, they look differently. So are you telling me that my grandmother was wrong? My grandfather? My mother and my father are wrong religiously. They're all wrong. The preaching of the cross will say to these people, that what, I, what I want us to understand is Faithfully preaching the gospel of the cross is an overwhelming thing. Jesus is in the saving people business. We, we are in the people. We, we should love the people we evangelize. We should empathize the people. So not come in like, hey, hey, so your entire lineage was this one religion? Pow, John 3.16. If you don't, you're all off to hell and pow. No, 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 no. Who are we talking to? Can you imagine thinking, well, if this is true, what, what will you say then? Not just that your mom and dad were wrong on minor things. They're wrong on God. They're wrong on man. 
They're wrong on sin. They're wrong on heaven. They're wrong on hell. Imagine being raised in another religion. How much time and talents did you expend in religious rites? I prayed to St. Patrick and the Virgin Mary, I don't know how many hours. If you were a devotee of Artemis, how many hours would you have prayed to her? How much offerings would you give to her? You have this beautiful building, this, the, all of these wonderful pieces of architecture, and along come these gospelers. And what was their conclusion? If you are right, then this temple is what? It's not just wrong. It's offensive. It, it, it's, um, it, it's overwhelming. It's, over, it's overwhelming. The gospel is overwhelming. Jesus Christ, the message of Christ is so radical to be told, so I'm deceived. And I will say this because this was one of the first things that my wife said. I became a Christian first by God's grace. She said, if this is true, this Christ is the way, what about all my family that have died? They're Hindus. What about them? Beloved, um, this is why I, I can't recommend George's study enough. What's the response that we should do? How should we share the gospel? I want to start crying. That's how we should share the gospel. Gentle and lowly, meek and gentle and kind and merciful. It, it transforms everything. You can't, you can't even do anything. We can't even watch Hindi movies so she can keep up her language because everything in the Hindi movie is Hinduism. We can't imagine that. We just biddy bop as Americans and think everybody gets this. No, we are radically transforming everything. This is radical. Even being presented so gentle and lowly as it should be. Beloved, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you've been forgiven, justified, adopted, you're in the progress of being sanctified, and you're going to be glorified. It is God the Holy Spirit who has done it? And if God has saved you in Christ, sometimes it means that you lose the affections of people you love who have not been given eyes to see. But to the people that the gospel causes a great disturbance, beloved, let's um, always be faithful, always be faithful, but to recognize this is an absolutely overwhelming message that we were presenting before them. It is absolutely overwhelming. Christ is the way, the life, the truth, the only way to the Father. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.